Pastor Ed Taylor describes the pathway to peace. Jesus goes in his prayer from save me from this hour to the submission, Lord, glorify thy name. And we would do well to follow in his footsteps. And though it bring pain and suffering to me, Lord, glorify your name. That's true submission to the will of God. And I think it's so important for us that we come to the place where we submit our issues to the Lord. Lord, you work. God, you glorify your name. Then we experience true peace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You This is Abounding Grace, where we study through the Bible and learn of God's abounding grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is midway through a series of studies in John's Gospel. We left off in the middle of chapter 12. This life will involve pain and heartache. We simply can't avoid it. And today we'll learn a thing or two from the experiences of Jesus when he was about to encounter the worst pain imaginable. John chapter 12, Revelation chapter 3 because we're going to use Revelation as an introduction to our time today. John chapter 12 is where we left off last time with very challenging words from Jesus to us as his disciples. He talked about the secret, if you will, to life. And the secret to life is to learn how to die to yourself. Notice with me in chapter 12, pick up there in verse 24. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. For he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now, if there was ever a church or a group of believers that were not living according to these precepts, it would be here in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, the church of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea that has come to be known as the lukewarm church, neither hot or cold, living a rather selfish, self-centered life, which made for a very selfish congregation of believers. Notice with me in verse 15, Jesus tells the church, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot, and I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now that's not a position that I want to find myself in relation to Jesus Christ. That when he sees my life and he sees the activity of my life, he declares upon me, hey, you know what, Ed? You're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm, and I will violently expel you out of my life. We have no connection, he says. Now, what is the result of not dying to yourself? And what is the result of not sacrificing and submitting yourself to the will of God? Well, you become a lukewarm person. You become at odds with Jesus Christ. You're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. When you think of lukewarm in relationship to your walk with Jesus Christ, think of words like complacent. 
Think of words like half-hearted or unconcerned. Oftentimes we'll describe a person that's lukewarm as is just going, you know, halfway. Not, not really giving it all. Certainly not dying to self. Not living a selfless life. Because selflessness will always lead to surrender. Selfishness will often lead to lukewarmness. And there are many in the church today who come to church, who attend, but live a very lukewarm life. You're neither hot nor cold. Oftentimes we refer to them as like the fence sitters. You know, just sitting on the fence. You're not willing to go one way or the other, just trying to walk a balance. Or you're spiritually insensitive. Or we refer to those that are lukewarm often as having one foot in the world, living for the things of the world, enjoying the things of the world, even though they're anti-God. And you also have one foot in the church, and you're caught between the two, where you have enough of the world in you that the things of God don't satisfy you. But you also have enough of God in you that the things of the world, well, they bring about conviction in your life all, time, all the time. So you're back and forth, back and forth. You're, you're lukewarm. Jesus says the way out of that is to learn how to lose your life for his sake. You really want to live, you need to learn how to lose your life. It's an unfortunate thing in the last many years that the church has created this idea of Christian consumers. And maybe this is a word to some of you, where your approach to church if it, as we gather together is, what can the church do for me? How can, the, how can the church meet my expectations? And unfortunately, you know, there's whole churches that are designed just like that, to try to meet all the expectations of all the people, and they've diluted the gospel, and, and they've avoided the hard topics, and, and we created this. And, and if we've ever been guilty of that, I hope we haven't, but if we have, we're sorry. I'm sorry for that. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God is not for you to come in the life of the church of what can you do for me, but rather the, the heart of God for you and me is what can I do for you, Lord? You've given me everything. You've sacrificed your own son. My sins have been forgiven because of the work on the cross. My only response now is you own me, God. You own me. I'm here to serve you. And so with that in mind, Jesus is in this final message that he teaches to the masses he is stirring and he is challenging the status quo, the religious movement of the day. Being lukewarm is so far from dying to yourself. Jesus would say it this way, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And now in verse 27, we see the troubling of the soul of Jesus when he says, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, or in the old King James, for this cause, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spoken to him. But Jesus answered and said, The voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. The, the atmosphere around Jesus right now is very troubling. 
John doesn't give us insights like the other gospel writers do of the Garden of Gethsemane, the depth of the troubling heart of Jesus. He just gives us a glimpse during this time period where Jesus openly declares that that he's troubled by the cross. He is now walking under the shadow of the cross. He is now right up just a few days away from the crucifixion. He's beginning to feel the full weight of what salvation will cost him personally in his humanity. Because in his humanity, Jesus is reluctant to go to the cross. You can jot it down in Hebrews chapter 12. It actually describes Jesus as despising the shame. In his humanity, he is wrestling with the reality of what's up ahead. Even more so when we gain insight in his time in the Garden of Gethsemane, according to Luke in chapter 22, verse 42, Luke says, and he records Jesus as praying, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. I can't bear this. It is too hard. If it is at all possible, if you could save humanity any other way, take this cup from me. It's so much. It's so heavy. It's so weighty. And yet, as he sees it from God's perspective, he ends that prayer by saying, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I accept the cup. And I accept the suffering. I accept your will for my life, Father. And in this, not Jesus, I love how he not only gives us the teaching, but then he models for us what that looks like. And this is that total submission of his will to the will of the Father. And he's troubled. The shadow of the cross is now falling across his path. He's walking along, and in just a couple days, he will be viciously beaten and horrifically tortured and killed on a Roman cross. And it's heavy. You know, there are many things in our lives, aren't there, that cross our paths that cause us to be troubled. We're not unlike Jesus in this. Life can be very difficult, very hard. We find ourselves troubled, not just in mind, but in our souls. We face things that we never expected to face. Heavy weights of trial and difficulty. The weight of sorrow and grief. The brokenness of a sinful world that we live in. There are many things in our lives that cause us to be troubled. There are things that happen to us. Or to those that we love that we just don't understand. And we try to reconcile them. Because we know that God is a God of love. We've experienced his love. We actually don't really think about these things until trials come. Because when things are going well, it's very easy to embrace the love of God. It's very easy to enjoy the love of God. It's very easy to live in the love of God. And yet when trial comes and when tragedy strikes... And when issues come up that cause us to question the love of God, we try to reconcile it, and, and we, just, we just can't. It's hard. When we face those difficulties in the now, we look at the situation, we just don't see the purpose, we don't see the cause, we don't grasp it. And under the weight of pain and under the weight of darkness, it makes it even harder. And then what happens? We begin to wonder. And we wonder, and maybe even verbalize it at times, I wonder if God loves me. Because, I mean, how can a God of love allow such horrific tragedy and hurt in my life? How can he continue to seemingly not act on this? And, And when we think of things only in front of us, when we ask questions about our own afflictions, or we ask the question of why these things are happening, I can't see the purposes of God, we get troubled. 
we get stirred. And so what should one do? What should we do when our hearts are troubled? Well, I think we do exactly what Jesus does, communicating with the Father the reality of our hearts. God, my heart's troubled right now. I just don't see the purpose in it all. I don't see, I don't see what you see. I don't feel what you want me to feel in this. I like how the psalmist put it, David, in Psalm 42, verse 5. He said, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. We look to God by faith. You see, Jesus gives us insight. Because one of the things that will greatly help us in the midst of our present circumstance is to broaden the scope a little bit and see the work of eternity in our lives. See, God has us here and now, but there is a weight of eternity that God is working out in our lives through every situation and every circumstance. Jesus says it here. As the Father speaks from heaven, God declares, you know, the cup that you're about to face, Jesus, is I am glorifying you, son. I have been glorified through this, and I will be glorified. There is an eternal perspective that God has for our life. It's for this cause that he's come into this world. And it's for this cause that you and I as well, that we're here to do the will of the Father and to drink the cup that God has for us. And so we begin to see, like Jesus does, our situation from an eternal perspective, a much bigger picture than we currently see. When our soul is troubled over our immediate problems, it is good that if we can put the problem in light of eternity, it will gain greater comfort in the circumstance. Well, what does that look like? Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, would you? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This passage has become quite familiar to us as a congregation, as so many of us have been through trials over the last few years, and and me in particular. It's been a passage that I've often referred to because it has come to life in our lives. It's come to life in our lives. It's come to life in our congregation. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Draw your attention to verse 16. It's so good that if we can put the problem in light of eternity and we can see more of the eternal perspective that God will comfort us in our difficulty. And so he says in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Can anyone give an amen to that? All right, you can feel it, can't you? Like a man, our bodies, everything about our bodies, our minds, the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. Can I also get an amen for that? God is working in you. Your bodies are wearing down. Eternity awaits us. I mean, in light of eternity, 50 years is just a shadow. 75 years, it's just a vapor. And while the outward man is perishing, God is doing a work on the inward man. But not only that, for our light affliction, verse 17. Now, how could we possibly ever call the things we face light affliction unless we saw them in light of eternity? Because in the moment, in the now, it's the heaviest, hardest thing we've ever faced. For us, in order for us to gain the perspective of the Holy Spirit here, to see things as a light affliction, we have to understand they're just for a moment. It's just for a moment. It's just for a moment. Notice this light affliction, verse 17, is working what? For us. You might want to mark that if you haven't already. They're working for us, not against us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, 
as we gain the eternal purpose through suffering and we recognize the cause for which we've come into the world, for God to use our lives to glorify his name, to point people to the cross of Jesus Christ, to the resurrection power that comes by faith in him, God is working out his eternal purposes and his eternal plan through our temporary pain and afflictions that we face in a sin-sick world. And as I see it in light of eternity, then there's that final submission of Jesus, and through my submission to the Father, he is glorified through my life. Now, we are perfectly okay with God glorifying himself through our lives without pain. And we embrace that. And we're perfectly okay, man. Things are going great. I've got the promotion at work. All my bills are paid. My relationship is strong. God, glorify your name in our lives. And we cry out for it. And yet we have to have the same perspective when things don't go our way. When we face the trials and tribulations that are promised to all of us. You know what, Father? My life is yours. You bought me with your blood. I belong to you. In the good times and the bad, naked I came into this world, Job said. Naked I will leave. Hey, Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the perspective that Jesus gives us here in his own life through humanity. Jesus goes in his prayer from save me from this hour to the submission, Lord, glorify thy name. And we would do well to follow in his footsteps. And though it bring pain and suffering to me, Lord, glorify your name. That's true submission to the will of God. And I think it's so important for us that we come to the place where we submit our issues to the Lord. Lord, you work. God, you glorify your name. Then we experience true peace. Lord, whatever you want. You know, as a new believer, that was your prayer. (laughs) In those early days of being saved, your prayer was, whatever you want, Lord. I give you my whole house. I give you everything that I have. Search every part of my life and whatever you want. But over time, something happens and it's no longer whatever you want, Lord. Now it becomes whatever you want, but I don't want to hurt. And whatever you want, but I don't want any pain. Whatever you want, but I can handle this. And oh, it would do well for us to come back to that place of submission. Say, God, whatever you want in my life, I'm yours. And if this suffering is serving an eternal purpose, then fine, Lord, use it and I'll accept it. And if this trial is going to bring about eternal benefits, then fine, Lord, I submit to you. Paul the Apostle, in writing his second letter to the Corinthians, he says this. I'll read it to you from the New Living Translation in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Because it's not just an eternal purpose, there's also a purpose in the here and now. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 he says, All praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of every mercy and the God who comforts us. He comforts us, verse 4, in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When others are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. You can be sure that the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. So when we're weighed down with troubles, it is for your benefit and salvation. For when God comforts us, it's so that we in turn can be an encouragement to you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. You know, it's really hard for us to truly comfort and sympathize with someone without having faced some similar painful experience. The painful experiences of our lives break our hearts and open up channels for the Holy Spirit to flow through us in his agape selfless love in ways that nothing and no one else could ever do. And it's difficult for us to be able to connect with someone really close unless we face some painful experience. It's challenging 
to really understand the pain and the hurt unless you've been there. Now, that's not to say that you can't serve someone, and it's not to say that you can't open the scripture with someone if you have an experience what they've gone through. You can and you should. But when you've gone through it, your heart immediately is connected with them because you've received comfort. And now the comfort you give is not just a hopeful comfort, but it's hope within reality because you've experienced it. It's your life that you're sharing. And when you've been there and you've experienced that blessed work of the Holy Spirit in comforting your heart and strengthening you to go through and helping you to take the next step, then you can comfort someone else because you've been through it. So it's not just an eternal plan that God is working out, but he's actually using the present condition and the things that trouble our soul and the cup that we none of us want to take. He's actually using it in the present time as well as a tool to draw people to himself. Remember Jesus, he said, as I'm lifted up, I'll draw people to, our, to myself. Now, oftentimes we'll use that. Some churches will use that kind of in their worship service. Okay, everybody, let's lift Jesus up and he'll be here and he'll draw us to himself. That's actually not what Jesus said at all. Now, I do believe the scriptures when it says that God inhabits the praises of his people. But when he's lifted up, he's not speaking of hyped up emotional worship. He's saying, look, when I die, people are going to be attracted to me. When I rise again from the dead, people will see the value and the weight of eternity upon their lives. When they look upon my life and my death and innocence and that God from heaven would love us so much he'd send his own son to die for us, that will draw people to me. And so it is true in the things that you face. Isn't it true? You you have gone through some tragedy and some difficulty. And now through the tragedy and difficulty, you find yourself as a magnet to people that have gone through what you've gone through. It just, they seem to come to you. They seem to seek you out. You faced one particular pain and now all of a sudden you've got three or four people going, finding out your story and wanting to come to you for what? The comfort that you've received from the Lord. The hope that you've received. The strength that you've received. I mean, it's true. It's to be expected. You really begin to comfort people that have gone through it even even though you may not welcome that part of ministry in your life. You're connected to people from now on through your pain. I mean, I think of it in my own life. Every time I hear of a family that have lost a loved one, a mom, a dad, my heart immediately is connected with them, even if I don't know them. Immediately. Even more so when I hear of a family tragically losing a child. My heart is immediately connected with them. I mean, it just sinks down deep. I grasp a sense. Not to entirety, but I grasp a sense and a part of what they're feeling the searing pain of emptiness and loss, the aches in their throat, the sleepless nights, the bitterness of tears, the hopelessness. I I can touch a little bit of that. God can use our pain and open up doors to minister to others in their pain and suffering. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor and part of a study in John's Gospel. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com or you can listen through our app as well. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. And we also have a podcast. Look for us where you get your podcasts. If you take a brief moment to write or call, you know, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com by clicking on Contact. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. 
And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of E.M. Bounds on Prayer. We know we're to pray, but if you're like many, you don't do it nearly enough. Or when you do pray, it's just a mindless repetition of a phrase you've come to use. Well, this book contains some of E.M. Bound's finest writings on the subject of prayer and will help you see what a blessing communication with God truly is. I think you'll walk away with some valuable insights that you can apply right away to your prayer time. To donate and order this today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's toll-free, 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our e-store at calvaryco.store. It's your generosity that helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us. Making a donation to the ministry is easier than ever through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Tell a friend about these daily studies, and then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the Gospel of John. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.